When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is absolutely wonderful to be back, Owen. Yes, we have Evan Lucas and a book in front of ourselves in the studio. Evan, how are you going? I'm very well, guys. Thank you as always for having me back. I get to sit here in cast bag, which is something that I struggle to do. Your absolute favorite thing. (laughs) So if you don't know, which you probably do, Evan uh, penned a book, Mind Over Money. And one of the chapters in here is the five money personalities, Evan, which is obviously really important when it comes to managing money. So Kate... What did you want to record with us in the studio today? Well, the chapter got me thinking because we love doing those money, person, not even money, just those personality quizzes. I remember doing the the one that comes back and says you're INTJ or whatever that one is. The, the extrovert one and the introvert one? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even BuzzFeed quizzes. I feel like we have a great desire to find out who we are through these online quizzes. Yeah. So, I mean whole business that's been built off online quizzes, look at Finder, right? Finder is a great example of how obsessed we are, so much so that Finder's made itself into an absolute behemoth of, of online surveys and asking that that question. You're like, do you think that Apple is red? Yes or no? Can an online quiz tell me who I am and solve my life problems? I yes. don't think so. But sometimes it does feel like it's yes. seeing you. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's almost like the intellectual version of a horoscope. Well, yeah, maybe. But uh, how about like money personalities? Like, can you do quizzes? Is there a quiz, Evan? Uh, there, there, there is. I think it's more- The quiz. It's more if somebody was to put to you an idea of what a personality is, you will start to very quickly identify, well, oh, that does sound like something that, that I would do. I also want to point out this very clearly before we go any further. 
my book, when I wrote about the personalities, there is, and I want to point this out there, this is not a new concept. I didn't put this out as a new concept. I wanted to basically put this into to get people to think because some people would actually argue that there is multiple personalities, up to 10. I've seen it as much being put out there. The other thing to be aware of is that it's not a box. Like not When you get into it, you, you're not stuck in it and and you will slide across personalities depending on the scenario. And I've been out with both of you and I know you both quite well and I know that you slide through personalities just watching it. So an example for me is I would probably say that I identify as an investor and we'll come to that, but I know very quickly that in a social scenario, I will become a spender quite rapidly. Um, and I've been out with both of you and I know the two of you do something similar. What I mean by that, let, let's quickly run through what I've put down as the five. The saver, the spender, the debitor, the investor. And the last one's always the interesting one because it's almost, it's not, it's a personality to some extent, but in money, it's an interesting one because it's not an action, it's a non-action. It's the ignorer, sometimes referred to as the ostrich. I've also seen it put out there, which is literally head in the sand, you have and don't really want to have an understanding about your money, where your money's going, how it's doing. It's probably the most interesting one because it's the majority of the population. And surely it would be layered with some of the other personalities because you'd still be probably doing something, either going into debt, you're spending money, you're saving on top of putting your head in the sand. Yeah, and that's the thing. You don't even know that you're doing it, right? So ignorers are really interesting in the fact that they know money comes to them, they know money goes out, but that's about as as much as it is. And and some of them don't know that they're obviously putting more money out than they're putting money in. Some don't realize they're doing the other way around. The other thing about them that's so interesting, and let's use them as the first example, because they're probably the example that for those of you listening, you're more likely or not to be in the sort of the category that Kate, Owen and I will find ourselves in being the other four. But the ignorers are the ones that we know you need to talk to the most. Those of you listening right now, they're the ones that actually need someone like you guys to engage with them to actually get them to start thinking about their money. Because the other thing ignorers do, one of the biggest things about their personalities is that because they're A, not engaged with their, their money and B, they're not interested, they tend to outsource it. So it therefore also means it can lead them into other scenarios where you can get the really extreme example where they end up in real trouble because they didn't realize that their financial advisor, friend, family, and advisor can lead them down the garden path that puts them in real trouble, real trouble. Or they get into a scenario where they just completely don't have and let the world pass them by. So they miss and all of a sudden when they need the opportunity, they're not ready. So great example with an ignorer is they all of a sudden realize that their life is moving by and they need to buy a new house. And then they go, I need to buy a house. Oh crap, I don't have, I don't know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, and 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 that's all part of it. And that's where you guys listening come into the ignorer's personality because the only way you can get an ignorer to engage is to start A, talking about it, and then B, just going, guys, just open your phone. Have a look at your banking app. What's in your bank? You know, where does your where does your income come from? Where does that paycheck that you get where does it go? Even and I know to everybody listening to you two here, that sounds really really strange. But you need to understand that they are so far out of it that they just they're just so disengaged with money they don't really care. So they won't actually necessarily know that answer. So that's where the start point is with with the ignorer. Or they might care and just not know where to start Correct. because it seems just so overwhelming. Yeah. What about the other money personalities? I feel like before we get into it too much, we should probably have a couple of dot points for each one. Yep. So let's work through the other four. Saver, as it sounds, it's 
never paid you know full price. They are always looking for a deal. Money is actually probably a physical thing. So having money is a thing. It's an it's a it's an actual owned asset. It's not you know an investment. It's not a house. It's a thing that they must have, almost like they're putting it under their mattress, which is quite interesting in itself. And they are very very aware of expenditure. They actually find expenditure quite a turnoff. I think is probably the way to say it to you. They would you know they are therefore it's not necessarily being stingy or tight. They are frugal to a point that they will miss opportunity. So again, getting back to the example with the ignore around buying a house, they will forego buying a house or doing a renovation or doing a high-end purchase because it means eating into that savings. That's a saver. Spender is almost the complete opposite as the name would obviously forget. Uh, forego, latest thing, always looking for the latest thing. Money is no option. I want to basically be keeping up with the Joneses and I will spend, spend, spend. Doesn't necessarily put themselves into absolute you know, categorically, you know, catastrophic debt, but they will spend as much as they make, if not more, and be happy with that. And it makes them really happy, and that's that's okay and good. But they are also clearly in a in a very, very precarious financial position. The debitor. This is the the one that's always really hard to talk about because it's a very hard scenario. And debitors, again, somebody for me personally that I love to try and help because it's a very self-fulfilling cycle debitors they need as much help as they can get a debitor is a person that actually lives off it like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy as in like a credit card yeah and they roll it they roll it through always so they're never paying it off they never pay it off they never know what it's like to even get to neutral it's just constantly through debt credit cards buy now pay later you know payday lending using that to live Right, is and that's the, a really common scenario. It's a really common scenario, the and they're the ones again. Why I put that in there is they are the people that need the most amount of help, and I absolutely, you know, believe it's something I should should do and 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 help those guys to work a way to get down because it's also really really bad debt. It's personal debt. It's you know loans on you know holidays. It's loans on living in some stances, and that's the really sad thing. So that's debitor, and investor is the last one. It makes clear what it is. You put your money to work at almost every point. Now, the thing is about an investor that I also want to point out, it obviously means they grow their wealth. They do do that, blah, blah, blah. But there needs to be a caveat here. It's not like this sort of like pinnacle personality. Yeah. Because investors- <laughs> Not the best one. <laughs> yeah. Because investors have another problem in the fact that they will and can put themselves into the debitor scenario where they over leverage, right? They continue to invest and invest and invest even in risky investments. And that can actually therefore go from having growing their wealth to very quickly finding themselves in, in massive debt because they go past the point of no return. So it's a good one because it is the one that tends to be the leading to the most wealth. It leads to the most financial independence. But that personality can also start to see money as scarcity constantly and therefore they're constantly trying to strive yeah. to get that. So there you go. That's your dot points in a very roundabout way. Yeah. Pros and cons to both of them. Yeah, all of them, I guess. So the idea of having like these different personalities is the idea that once we understand that we might fall into one sometimes or often, that then there are some strategies for that type of personality. Is yes. that the idea? Yes, it is. So as I said at the start, you'll probably, from what I've just identified, you'll find yourself leaning towards one, knowing, as I said, that you can slide through them. They're not a box. But you'll know that, okay, yeah, you know, eight times out of 10, I will spend 
my money. Or eight times out of ten, I would much rather sit on my money and save it and save it and save it and save it and much rather watch it. So because five beers, Owen is definitely a spender. Yeah, yeah. But sober, <laughs> Owen is probably more the investor. I wouldn't even go. <laughs> I would go. Evan walking into a bar becomes Evan the spender. Right? Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even need the beers. I would just be like, right, yeah. let's do this. Here's my credit card. Yeah. Let's go. Bang. But it's interesting. Even it's very scenario based. I reckon because yeah. when it comes to other people, I'm a spender. When it comes to myself, maybe I'm more of a saver and an investor. And some parts of my finances over the last few years, I have been an ignorer about. Like I have stuck my head in the sand and been like, oh, there's just too many expenses. I just don't want to look at this for a while. Yeah. And then that's, so again, getting back to Owen's question, all of that is part of this. So there's no answer. Why don't we put this out there? The reason there is no answer is because again, it's going to be specific to you. There's going to be scenarios. You and Mark go to the pub together. <laughs> or Kate with you just going, it's just too hard for right now. For right now. Yeah. So all of that is part of the answer in that it is a no answer. The, the way to, to start breaking them though is again it's the James clear world right it's habits right you have formed habits that have got you to that personality so if you're a saver you've obviously got a savings habit is the other way to look at it you are clearly going money in x amount i'm going to sit on and so on and so forth and so on and so forth and so on and so forth blah 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 an investor same principle so it's about reforming those habits again like i say with biases Knowing your bias doesn't make a habit. Knowing your personality doesn't make a habit. You've got to then go, okay, if I want to break out of being just a saver and slowly but surely move myself into an investor and a saver, you know, hybrid personality, that therefore is, again, the marathon sort of metaphor that we always talk about, slowly but surely. Okay, your cash is in cash. Maybe you can make some of your cash into interest-returning investments, just as simple as cash, you know, TDs, because it's still cash and you can still feel that comfort of having, but at least it's earning you interest. So over time, you just work on yourself. Yeah. And then you, you know, the next step is going, okay, that turn deposit returned 4% now and let's go to the next step. Okay. Let's make it longer in time. Maybe it's still a turn deposit, but it's longer mm. in time. I now go, okay, I've got a bit of a more of a longer time frame. My money's starting to become a bigger period of time. Maybe now I can step into capital growth and a yield and looking to defensive, you know, ETFs or looking to very, very, you know, defensive stocks in equities. And it's just forming that habit and starting to sort of break down the habits you've got in a certain personality to bring into the habits you want. Now, that doesn't also mean it's going to be invested because I know, Kate, you're quite open about the idea of spending is actually something that that brings another part of, of your old personality. So I'd probably ask to you, like if you were a saver, how do you start finding yourself getting a little bit more enjoyment, is that the word, out of, out of actually using the money that you've saved? Yeah, I think one of the ideas that I actually learned from Emma Edwards, who does the Broke Generation podcast, is the idea of doing a spending review at least a couple of weeks in a row and really going through and looking through those purchases you made during the week and giving them a, like almost a one to five star rating and going, okay, how much enjoyment did I get out of this? Sure, we probably don't get that much enjoyment from paying our gas bill, but that coffee with a friend, did I get a lot of enjoyment from that or did I prefer just hanging out with them or those new pair of shoes, would I have preferred buying that or did I get more happiness um, going on a day trip? So trying to work out it takes a while to get to know yourself. And I don't think you can move that quickly between these personalities, even if you are a couple right now. But m- 
being a bit more conscious about where you're spending that money and what brings you happiness or even just levels because it's all going to be a bit different and subjective but checking in with your spending and I think that if you start to work out where you like to spend money and where you get the greatest benefit from it then you can kind of direct your money towards that area and less away from other areas that you're spending in yeah because for you on the next question would be you're you're a big investor right it's your you know, the whale, they call me. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Not quite. Because I know for you, for interesting thing, you're a clear investor personality. But I also know that for someone like you, you've made this very clear on this podcast and in a lot of public forums that inverted commas, you don't really have a goal. You just like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you just like it. So how do you start to now sort of look at your personality with money in that respect and the fact that you're doing it because it's more something you like doing rather than actually having a direction? You obviously haven't heard him talk about his fishing hobby. Oh, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which and is, for those uh, of you that don't have his, his Instagram <laughs> handle, just get on it and have a look at his own highlights reel now that is now stand out. There's been a few parcels trawlers. arriving in the office. Yeah, by accident. I accidentally get all the parcels sent to the office <laughs> and those squid jigs don't work. Dollar uh, eighty. Doesn't work. Okay, so... Um, See, don't compromise on, on perfection. That's, you were so proud of that money tip. Yeah, I know. But uh, no, maybe it was just the fisherman rather than the actual tools. But um, okay, so it's interesting. Nah, my, the tools, mate. <laughs> I would say my personality has shifted over time. And I'd say over the last two years, I've got m- more goal-focused, although I'm not purely goal-focused. So I try to enjoy the process as much as I can. What's caused that? Do you mind me asking? You don't have to say. I know it's yeah, a no, personal no, no. question. No, no, no. I, I like the personal questions. They're the ones that matter. The I think it's just being tr- – I just have this desire to be more intentional with money. So – I've always worked my guts out and really like spent a lot of money on things that maybe I brought me happiness immediately, but then not on over time. And so just being more intentional, knowing that I don't want to work forever at a frantic pace. So, you know, the whole, the jar is only so big and you can only fit so much in. Uh, and so more recently to change that, what I've done is, and Kane, I've talked about this a lot and we've talked about this, is like, just even, you mentioned like the retrospective budget and spending with Emma, which is great. I would probably be a bit more like forward looking and say, what are the things that I'm looking forward to tomorrow? What are the things that I'm looking forward to this week? And based on that, then how do I get more of that in my life? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. So that's how I kind of allocate my time and money now. Yeah. Yeah. And he did share a goal in our goal setting oh, yeah, episode. Oh, a farm. Yes, yeah. we both That's probably the big one, to be honest. Yeah, I want to buy a farm. But that's like a pinnacle goal that's going to require a lot of work in the lead up. So you're going to have yeah. to set a lot of mini goals. And that's what we discussed on that episode. Like what are all these short-term goals mm. and medium-term goals that you can form around that big goal of buying a farm that's going to be quite an expensive endeavor. It's going to require probably more knowledge, more skills, more time. Yeah, and a lot of effort. Yeah, for sure. And so that's, that's definitely helped like augment my direction and send me in down one path yeah um and i've worked backwards from there so it's definitely yeah that's fair but that yeah i would say i mean based on what you've said so far I'm more the investor yeah and none of that the reason i asked that question is that what we're all discussing here or the whole conclusion is that the other thing that changes your your personality is life as life evolves you, you change that and i again we've all talked about this in all different forums and and Kate is the young one in this room. Owen's <laughs> a little older and then I'm the ancient one. Um, I don't know The about wise that. one, Evan. The wise one. I think I'll take ancient. But anyway, <laughs> uh, and I talk about that. Like there is no doubt the, like, the evolution of my personalities has been dramatic. I've gone from being me 
to us with my my now wife, who you know she and I got together when we were now what twenty five, and now it's gone to we in the fact that I've got a family, I've got two kids, and there's no doubt I can look back at my personality when I was in my twenties to my personality now, and they are similar in the fact that I can still feel there were things that I was doing in my twenties that are still part of me and always will be. But my life change has meant that my personality has evolved to be in a different scenario, understanding that, you know, investing for the future is what I want to do, not just for me anymore, it's for us. So the girls are, are what part of that. And, and I, I talk about that quite openly and some people don't like it, but I want to invest in their education. So as soon as both of them were born, both of them, I had a small fund that I've put together and I add to it religiously. There's my habit every month to grow so that once the girls get to the age that I think I want to send them to a certain schooling scenario, I'll be able to afford it. Yeah. Could someone use these five money personalities? Like I'm thinking a lot of people listening to this, maybe single, maybe trying to find a partner or dealing with like a new relationship. Could they use these five? On their hinge profile. On their hinge profile. So this, <laughs> According so this to Evan Lucas's book, <laughs> I am a investor. Yeah. Do you match? Yeah. Swipe right. <laughs> no, but like you said, like you people change over time. So you yeah. might be able to use this framework to be like, my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, is an ignorer. Maybe there are some strategies that apply just for them. Is that how I could use this? Sort of. So why I say that again, I think the next thing to go to, so moving away from just the personalities, is to actually look at the the clash that comes with with relationships, right? Relationships are that. And I don't want to spell too much about it, but there's a story that I always talk about from what I remember at university, and it is one of the most vivid memories I have of uni. So my first degree was in medical science. And yeah, I know. Dr. Evan Lucas. Pass. Um, (laughs) But I still remember, particularly I was really taken aback by physical anthropology. And the reason for that, it was just sort of mind-blowing and the fact that I loved ancient history and all that kind of stuff. And long story short, one of the days the lecturer got the entire class, there was about 80 of us in this class, to get up out of our seats and go to the board off this question. He drew a long, long line from one side of the board to the other and said, on a probability of zero to 100, what's the probability that you're going to meet your partner? And when he said partner, he then changed that. He said, your mate. And by mate, somebody that you can actually have children with. Because he pointed out, he said, it therefore means the same. If you're same-sex relationship or you know a fluid relationship, it doesn't matter because this is going to happen. He said, so what's your probability? And the whole class came up and basically created a bell curve. Almost exactly. Everybody sort of put their dot in the middle of that line. He then said, here's my probability. And he put it pretty much as close to the zero point as he could. And the reason his justification is he's read out this, and I've put it in the book and I can actually straight out list it to you, which is that there are now 8 billion people in the world. Immediately half gets taken away because you're either – you've got to either be attracted to you know, the other gender or if you're attracted to the same gender, it immediately takes away that scenario. And even if you're fluid across, it still takes half out immediately. So you're down to four, right? Then you've got a scenario where the majority of people that are now on the sex that you actually want to be involved with are either going to be too old or too young, all right? It's about 95%. So you're now down to about 200 million people. Right? So still a lot, all right? But 200 million. Then you've got a problem about geography, right? That 200 million people is dispersed across the whole world. In fact, as he said, human beings need to be probably within about 10 kilometers of the people that they're going to actually get in a relationship with because we need intimacy, which brings it down to several thousand. 
right? Very, very quickly. And then as he said, how do you actually meet them? What's the scenario you actually meet them in? Is it at work? Is it at a scenario like the three of us are sitting in here? Is it through dating apps? It doesn't matter. And if you do get to meet them, do you actually have the ability to then communicate, to interact? And what's the probability that, A, you find them attractive and, B, that you're actually going to be integrated? So the reason I say that very long-winded story, what he was trying to say is that the probability of actually meeting your partner is quite low, yet we do it every day of the week, right? The whole world gets on with each other. We have relationships. Your parents got married or divorced. We're all in between. But that's happened. And he said that's because humans are humans and they want to. But what his point is is that we are obviously clearly very different. So that gets back to that very long-winded answer, but I wanted to put that story in there because it's always been fascinating to me that when you do get together, money is seen as the third most problematic problem in a relationship behind intimacy and behind sex. So the third biggest problem in a relationship is, is money. So the, the clash is, is very probable. One in four people in Australia have seen money as a problem and that they're, you know, an imbalance. One in five have seen their previous relationships fall by the wayside because of money. And then the largest thing that we were talking about before that's, that's on the rise is what they call financial infidelity, which is becoming a bigger, bigger and bigger issue. And one in five see this as actually worse than physical infidelity, which is basically money cheating is the way to say it to you. And money cheating is where you're in a relationship, you may have assets, a car, you might be in a, in a house, and one partner secretly is, is actually leveraging up on that or secretly having bank accounts that are being drawn on, but they're in joint names. Therefore, you're legally liable for it. And so when it finally comes out, your the, the partner's perception about where they are in their financial journey gets completely annihilated. It's the same, obviously, if, finding out if your partner's cheated on you. It's the same principle, but probably worse in the fact that it's not just the loss of that relationship and that loss of that intimacy, but it's the actual legal loss that you've got. You know, you, your money position is completely different. The years it's going to take you to get back to neutral, those years are then lost as well. So it's it's the financial future that you had is completely obliterated. And that's why financial infidelity is becoming a really, really big issue. So I know I haven't answered your question, but I just wanted to put it out there that there isn't an answer to this. But the final one to start there is, and this is what I know I'm going to ask you, Kate, is it's communication. All right. So how do you deal with the communication of money? Because it's something I know you're really positive on and really, really strongly, quite powerfully thought, thought about is that how do you get the communication talk around finance? What do you use? What do you talk about with the people you talk about about getting communication up? Communication is definitely important. And when I look through money Facebook groups, there's always questions people have about money and relationships where they're not quite on the same page, whether it's based off their goals, education, whether they one person just doesn't want to know. And that can happen in either part of the relationship. And it always seems like a challenge and I it's hard because you don't get the follow-up stories often of these people if they do have those conversations on did it get better mm. or did it just, did they yeah. just put it like money under the rug because they wanted to continue with the relationship or does this bubble up further down the track? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you because yeah. getting back to those surveys we started talking about at the start, there is one I wanted to put in there. So the top financial relationship deal breakers, according to some of those surveys, destructive spending, so that's alcohol, tobacco, gambling it's an 80 percent deal breaker the next one is lying about your financial uh, your situation 76 percent inability to pay for basic expenses now that obviously is quite a shallow thing but if you're the deal breaker 71 percent 
said that that's a deal breaker. Putting everything on credit, 62%. Inability to budget, 58 Lack of financial independence, 55 And then no financial plan or goals, 52 Whew, lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you've got a goal now. So, yeah, so it's quite like you, what you're saying is it, it's also a socially ingrained scenario that if you're, yeah, those those clashes that you're talking about that, that seem in those lines, oh, we've got a slight difference. Well, you know, you're, you're not alone. Like what we're saying here is, is that basically destructive spending is four, you know, four and five. See that as a massive problem. Lying about your financial, you know, your financial stability, <laughs> three and four. But it is very hard to be open and communicate about money. Like if if either of you looked at my bank statement, it would feel very personal. Yeah. You're like, why did you spend $20 on this thing? Or why did you do this? Or you could have invested that money. You didn't really need that thing. Like it feels really personal for anyone to know your spending decisions. Even my... So my wife gets me on that. Yeah. Like all of a sudden I go, did you start Netflix again? <laughs> and I'm like, what? She's like, I'm looking through the credit card statement and Netflix is on here. I thought we turned it off. And I was like, well, I just turned it on again because I wanted to watch something. And, but yeah, it's that, right? It's yeah. the same thing. Like it, and, and, and we are very close with our finances. But yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm being, I'm being, mm. I'm being questioned. <laughs> it, but this happens with friends and family as well, I think. Sometimes you your friend says, oh, they spent this much money. And you're like, oh, that like to me, that's different. But that's because we're different people. Mm-hmm. And we all have different values and we all have different intentions with our money. And I think it's important if someone starts talking to you about money and having that conversation, whoever they are to you, that you're very open-minded and you're listening. Because if you just go, why do you spend money on this? Suddenly they shut down because we, we already feel so insecure about what we're spending on. We don't want anyone to look at our bank statements. So let that conversation happen. And I think it's really important to not judge anyone. Yeah, we um back in high school we had this crazy subject called rock and water. You needed to know when to be a rock and when to be water, like fluid and adjustable. This is a subject. Yeah, yeah, it was great actually for a school full of young men. It was actually really important for us. And um, when you approach someone with their finances, it's important that you do have that open and flexible mindset because if you come in with like a rock and you come try and knock them out of the park for spending fifteen bucks on Netflix, what's the next thing they're going to do? The next thing they're going to do is they're going to hide it from you because they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So exactly, you don't want to go down that pathway. So it's just about understanding, being open-minded and being able to react to that and talk to them about it. But then if repeated attempts don't work, well, then maybe other there's other action that's needed to take place if it is really, as you say, Evan, a deal breaker. Yeah. So, and this is what I think, you know, both Kate and Noah are saying is that they unfortunately, it's the hardest step, that communication that mm. is quite a personal thing. And, you know, Everybody has a different inflection point. So what I was going to ask you, Owen, is like if you went out to that pub and you and I for spending, is there a part of your head that goes, I can spend up to X? Yeah. And the reason I say that is that I remember like what I would judge people that would turn around and go, mate, I had an incredible night. We went out, but I blew a grand. And I'd be like, you blew what? Like how did you – how? Like I, I, I would get like so talking about my personality personally. I would back in the day, I would get quite thingy if I'd spent probably more than a hundred bucks. I reckon two hundred dollars was a big thing for me to spend on a night out, and then hearing my friends do that, and I, I'll be honest with you, I put my hand up. I, I was judging them, right? Yeah. So that's and the, often our reaction is based off our own internal beliefs, yeah, and exactly. assumptions and experiences. Yeah. So, so we often try to put that on someone else. Yeah. So you need to 
turn that off or leave it at the door or whatever metaphor you want to use is that Owen's beautiful fluidity comment is there is that uh, you need to leave much. your personality at the door and be open to what your partner is and thinks because it's going to be different. That's mm. that, And that's that's part and parcel of why relationships are beautiful but tricky at times and talking through that because, as I said, unfortunately, societally, we have that problem, right? I think the one that really gets me when I read those numbers is that the inability to pay for basic expenses like that, that to actually see that 70% of respondents see that as a turnoff, as a deal breaker in a relationship. I mean, that when you think about that, that that that's quite a quite a sort of really quite jarring thing to sit there and go, somebody is judging you that your inability to pay actually means that they could leave you or that they're not going to start you up. And that's where the communication issue starts, right? If you think you're going to get judged for previous problems. Like one of the biggest stories when I was researching my book and I hear a lot is people actually covering up what they've done in the past particularly. So, you know, they may have got themselves better financial habits and got them back in there but won't actually tell their partner that back in the day they had a $20,000 credit card debt that took them 18 months or two years to pay off or that they let their personal finances get to a level that they had to go and, you know, call in, you know, payday scenarios to fix it up because it's – you are society, like society already has that thing on you where you know that you're going to get judged for that, uh, rightly or wrongly. And that's where communication is so important. It's such a really, really interesting part. And it's always the basis and start point because then you can start talking about you know, things like we're not even going to end this, but you can start you know, seeing about gratitude, turning money from being a scarcity into an abundance. Because once the two of you can work as a unit and communicate what the other person sees money as, and you see money as, it will start to make you work together in a much more productive way. Yeah, I think that, um, was it 71% for basic needs? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's probably a bit more to unpack there because like, I think there would be heuristics that have like snowballed through life. So that would be, in that instance, the 71% would be symptomatic of something else. So what I mean specifically is a lot of people that, a lot of people, not everyone, to be very clear, often um, when they're pairing up, they will look for signals like red flags that pop up. And one of them is finance because if you are looking to date someone who is late 20s, early 30s, you don't want financial instability because that could impact your well-being, which is a totally fair and reasonable thing. And sometimes where the symptomatic part comes in, I think is like oftentimes basic living needs are the symptom of something else like a gambling addiction, drug addiction, some sort of dependence that comes with... Which is the top respondent, destructive. Yeah, exactly. And that can be masked, but one of the things that can't be masked is basically the cash flow. So at the end of the day, what's in your bank account? You don't even need to know the cash flow, just the balance. And they probably give you an idea of where people are spending money on uh, and what they're buying and things like that. Um, and I'd say that's probably a reason. Like, and I, I'd probably think that's fair enough, to be honest. Yeah. In normal circumstances, if there were extenuating things, so things like, well, studying or another one might be, yeah, my my mum's got cancer. I'm the only child and I'm the eldest or like I'm the eldest child or whatever and I need to support her as well as myself. Like obviously it's extenuating circumstance. But for a lot of people in that early phase of a relationship, they kind of want to protect themselves a bit. Yeah, so yeah. I can understand that. But it's yeah. all that context. Like if I was talking to someone, my friend, and they'd work themselves out of $20,000 of credit card debt through creating a plan, hard work, making sacrifices, and that had taken years, and now they're just getting back onto their feet. Like, 
that shows a lot about their personality. You wouldn't hold that against them. You would actually, that would inform that they have the dedication to work towards a goal. They can stay disciplined. Yeah, correct. But the research also shows that that person is unlikely to tell people that because they're embarrassed by it. They're, they're, they, there's a detriment in their viewpoint that society will judge them for the fact they got themselves into that scenario. Now, thankfully, there are, this is one of the only reasons I like social media, there are now forums that help people to actually express that. You know, yeah. you can actually go Huge and express that. free community yeah, on Instagram. Correct. So sometimes it is good. I'm not a massive anti-social media person because I find it just, but at least now that communication is becoming much more open to, you can actually find and not feel insecure or, or not feel that judgment because you're going to find people that have done the same thing. You can go and find that community of, you know, debt-free after XYZ, all those kind of um, forums, chat areas that can actually help you get your finances into into a level that is now much more productive but also getting past that initial fear of, oh, man, this new person I'm trying to see, I don't want them to know about my financial past because it's whatever else. I mean – we know, I mean, it's quite interesting when you say that. We know that whenever you start dating somebody, I don't know it's a long time for me, but anyway, um, there's there's always going to be some form of, you know, relationship baggage. You've got to put the same thing with finance, right? There's probably going to be some financial baggage. I mean, that's just part and parcel of people. It's part and parcel of life. So, yeah, judgment at the door. Yeah, I think what would be really interesting if you're listening right now and you've overcome a clash of money personalities with a close friend, a family member in a relationship – and you've got a story of how you approached it, how you started communicating, maybe things that didn't work and things that did work. If you can write in, we'll put the link in the show notes and let us know. And we'd love to share some of this on the show because I think it's so interesting to learn from everybody else because we only get to experience our own relationships, but getting to learn and hear from how everyone else deals with this, there might be some hints or some tips and yeah. tricks. And I'm going to step on Owen's toes here. Obviously, the fact that you guys love your anonymous stuff, if you are out there and you don't want to put your name to it, don't. Just put in your anonymous thing, put your thing out there. Communicate with you know, the forum and it will it will help you. Because the other advantage that Owen and Kate have for you that when you get on to, to Rusk is that you know if you are trying to get out of this scenario, they've got their education portals to help you with that. They've got their programs that can start pushing you into a better space. So, yeah, right in start to try and use their forum as well. And that's that's something I would say is that, you know, if you listen to this podcast, get on their site, start talking anonymously. These two will come back to you as themselves. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then start looking to their to, to their own stuff, you know, yeah. to, to help you. That's a good point, Evan. Thank you. The link in the show notes, the one that always says ask a question is actually anonymous unless you divulge personal information. So you can write into us. We won't know who you are. So uh, if you want to share something that way or just on social media, but then we yeah. also know your you handle. So. And I think just like leaving it there, there are actions you can take if you want to change your personalities, education, small habits that you do, but it does take time. It's not, none of these are going to be an overnight switch. Um, we know it takes many years for people to start investing, to get the confidence, to take the first step, to make the decision of the brokerage account, to decide what to invest in. But education is really important there being kind and patient with yourself. And if you want to reference another James Clear quote, uh, every action you take is a vote for the kind of person you want to become. I don't oh. know if that's word for word, but I do Kate. like that one. Yeah. Well, it's one of his more famous ones, isn't it? So there's a reflection activity at the back of Evan's book and the chapter here. It says, which money personalities you, do you identify with? What are some of the financial hurdles you struggle with related to your money personality? And what small incremental changes could you introduce 
to these hurdles, to address these hurdles. So this is in uh, Mind Over Money, Evan's book. So there are actual like practical steps you can take to try and address some of these things. So mate, that, that was great. If you haven't already picked up the book, if you haven't got one from us for free, if you've <laughs> go and check it out. Well, I think we've given a, quite yeah, a few copies away at this point. Away. But as again, if you know if somebody does write in and you are open, I think what we'll do is again we'll, we'll give a couple away to those that, that write in their their comments. So I'm always happy to give my book away to people that want to to read something else. So yeah, if you do you are out there, listen up. Just, and I might even add a smooth dedication. It might I'll, be a dedication. I'll do a dedication, but yeah, you know, I'll give away a couple of them actually. Yeah, for those. I think this was Monique's book. This one. Yes, it is. So Monique, shout out to you. <laughs> get well soon <laughs> yeah, get well soon <laughs> alright well that was heaps of fun Evan thanks for joining us in the studio mate cheers guys thanks as always thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast we hope you learnt something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode if you're keen to learn more head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses you could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.